What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I'm your host, David. I'm joined with today, Ryan. Very nice. Very nice. And coming straight from Crystal Lake and deciding to join us this week, Jennifer. Hey, guys. Am I a camp counselor? Can I be a camp counselor? We're all camp counselors But like in the video game. The That's great because I actually have game. I actually have that in my notes to talk I about later. I want to be one of those camp counselors. I want to be Chad. For Chad. any 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 fans out there that play the Friday the Thirteenth video game, Chad is the way to go. Chad's the way. <laughs> so I, I'm going to talk about the game a little. I'll be female Chad. Yeah, so I'm going to talk Whoever about the game is. a little later. But Ryan, Chad is the asshole of the of the <laughs> camp counselor, and there's an achievement. So you play video games, anyone out there that plays video games, uh, you get like an unlock, an achievement unlock. Chad's achievement unlock is so to escape the video game, to escape Jason in the video game, you have to leave Crystal Lake or kill Jason or call the cops. So to escape Crystal Lake, uh, the counselors have to find a car battery and a tank of gasoline. And then you can fit up to four people in the car. Chad's achievement, which actually is actually very hard, is someone else has to get the battery, someone else has to get the gas, and you have to escape by yourself and leave every other camp counselor. <laughs> when I found out that was the achievement, I made it a purpose because Chad isn't really a good counselor to play with. His his uh his skills suck, but um just getting that achievement was so fucking worth it. It took me about an hour to get it oh, wow. because yeah it's actually not that not easy to get but yeah that's chad so today we are actually looking at the 40th anniversary of the friday the 13th film uh talk a little bit about the franchise as a whole but before we get into that let's get into the news of the week uh we've talked about tv shows on here many many times and you've heard jenny and myself and i think ryan has said that dexter is the worst series finale of all time so they're gonna make that up because dexter's coming back for a 10 episode limited series on showtime jenny is it the worst series finale it was really bad. it is the worst is that in how it i met your mother really bad no 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 how i met him how no i i yeah you're right dexter i was like super angry because i love the show and i invested a lot of time with it and then the ending that we got i was just like really um not only is he a negligent father at the end but like i that was it was just not satisfying i don't get where the writers were going with that anyway am i gonna watch the new remake the extended yes because i do like michael c hall um and if you've never watched him pre-dexter you should definitely check out uh six feet under ryan thoughts i've never seen dexter (gasps) oh so right, uh, so Ryan, you should watch it. You should watch and it. Lead up to, the yeah, because I, it's the worst. It's a series finale. Like there's been bad, like How I Met Your Mother. I hate the series finale, but How I can lost bad. Um, it's no because I no, I wasn't no, angry no, no, with th- Lost. This is I. I think Love this lost. is. I was. 
this is so bad that I, as much as I love Dexter, and anyone that knows me from the time Dexter was on the air, I was religiously talking about Dexter. I've never gone back to watch it. That's how pissed off I was. It ruined, it completely ruined the series for me. It completely ruined certain characters that I'm not going to speak about because you haven't, you haven't watched it. Completely ruined the best developed character on that show. It, it, it made me very angry that I've never gone back to it. Uh, but if you've never watched it right, give it a shot because it's actually, right. it, it's real. Do you know what it's about? Uh, Sarah Keller, that's, he's but he's secretly a serial killer. Yeah, so he's a he works for the for the Miami, Miami PD. PD and he's a for uh forensic a forensic scientist. Forensic scientist, but he kill but he doesn't kill good people. He kills Those bad people. He kills criminals. Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah, so it's, He it, has a like a code you know, um, his father was a cop and his father started to notice all of these tendencies that he had as a kid because he also had a very traumatic um, upbringing. He was adopted. And so um, just to get into that, like he just he kind of he saw these tendencies and he gave him sort of a code to follow. And it's something that he continues to do. And then that's what he does. And then it sort of intercedes into all the people that he works with in his personal life. And and yeah, and I think um my favorite season is season three. Mine is four with the Trinity Killer. Oh no, then it's four. Yeah, it's, sorry, that's the season. <laughs> the show, yeah, the Trinity. When you get to the Trinity Killer, yeah, ride, it is that is a... it's serious stuff. Season three is uh, Jimmy Smith's. Oh well, no, Jimmy Smith is pretty you. good. Yeah. Um, I have a you know list of shows I want to start: Cobra Kai, Dexter, or um. Watchmen. Which one should I start first? Do with Dexter last because that's going to take the most yeah, time. That's gonna take long. Cobra Kai, you could probably be done if you start today. You'll be done by Sunday yeah, because Cobra it's, super a quick quick. it's super quick. It's super quick. And then Watchmen. And then Watchmen. You, you. The fact that you haven't seen Watchmen is surprising. Yeah, Watchmen is incredible. Cobra Kai, Watchmen, Dexter, go. Right. Okay. Yeah, like <laughs> my, I would say Watchmen is the best out of the three, but. Definitely do Cobra Kai because, like Jenny said, it's super easy. So, yeah, Dexter coming to Showtime in 2021. Uh, next bit of news is uh, something we talked about last week that Jenny didn't want, didn't have the chance to chime in on. So, Disney is going to shift their focus to streaming, all their entertainment shift to streaming. So, this does include Marvel. This does include Star Wars. There was a investor call today mm-hmm. and one of their top investors i don't have his name but uh, the article said it was one of the top investors for disney started pushing the fact that they need to start releasing everything on streaming if they want to catch up to netflix they need to create content that will draw draw up subscriptions and there's and they're talking about how like the movies that they have right now will get nostalgia in but it's not bringing in new people if they start putting star wars if they start putting Marvel on there, it's going to draw up more subscriptions, and they want to catch up to Netflix rather than fall behind the eight ball. You don't think, though, that they're like, you know, because people do this all this. I mean, they're always going to have someone that does this no matter what. People subscribe, watch the movie that they want to watch, and then drop off. Now, if you go the Mulan route where you're putting these movies for $30, then either way, it doesn't matter whether they subscribe or not, but they want to keep you, so they want to retain you. I just think Yes, I think Disney needs to continue to build up their library for sure. Um, Just because like you want to keep bringing people in and you want to stay innovative. I think a lot of their original programming has been really strong. And I think they're 
they have a lot of time to be able to do. I know this year threw everyone for a loop. So, you know, obviously what they may have in the works had to be put on hold also. Um, but I mean, Disney came out with Disney plus and they've been killing it. I mean, they're better than Hulu. They're better than a lot of these networks. They're already, I think that that were out longer than they have been around and they have, because it's the fan base. I would say they're already number two. Yeah. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're up there and like, yes, you have to beat the Netflix model for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm fine with them going the streaming route, but I don't agree. I believe you said it last week where Disney's not going to, they're going to skip theaters completely. They're not. It's another, if it's so easy for them to put it out there, why not have different revenue streams? You make more money that way. You make, you cater to the people that want to have the experience of going to the movie theater and bringing their kids, which ultimately it ends up being cheaper for them to stay home in reality. Um, but then you have the people that maybe can't get out. Maybe they don't have cars or like they don't have, there's just, it's easier for them to be home and watch a movie at home that then they can enjoy it. I think putting yourself everywhere and going to where your fan base is will only just keep reaping them more benefits. So I don't agree that they're not necessarily going to be day and date at all. I keep saying it on here day and date. I think that's the future of film. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ryan thoughts. No, I agree with you. Day and day is, pretty much going to be it yeah I don't, I don't i don't think there's any reason why in the next year that studios don't focus on that because at the end of the day like jenny and i will still want to go to see some movies in theaters but if we get the opportunity to watch them on amazon or whatever or on disney mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i i was talking to uh the jc he comes on the cinephile round table and on here every couple of weeks about this off the line, the fact that I think if they, for Marvel, and I want to get your guys' take on this, for Marvel and Star Wars, if they release the lesser films as a, like Black Widow or Doctor Strange or like Spider-Man, something along those lines, but they release Avengers on the big screen, I think they create something of an event and it'll increase box office. It may even... Ex- increase any expectation anyone may have if you create an event similar to um bringing wrestling into this back in the 80s and 90s where you only had four pay-per-views so everyone felt important i think this mm-hmm. could make every avengers movie feel even more important and you know this is not shunning black widow or captain marvel it's not a woman thing it's not a, a man thing it's just but you only named the two women i, I said i said dr strange <laughs> Yeah, Doctor Strange. And I believe he says Spider-Man. And I also well. said Spider-Man. Sorry, Benedict La- Cumberbatch. <laughs> Last time I checked, Spider-Man was a man. Tom Holland, until he's Spider-Gwen. They don't own that, so it's not going to happen. Oh, right, right, right. Speaking of something that's not going to happen. Or will they own that <laughs> soon? They need to buy Sony. That, that's the only well. way. Um, so, speaking of that, the Spider-Man rumors that I personally did not want to post this on the website because i don't like posting thing without multiple sources and the fact that a lot of websites and instagram pages were posting the fact that um andrew garfield and toby were in confirmed to return and it was debunked yesterday that's not true i wanted to get your guys thoughts on the fact do you want them to come back since they're doing this whole multiverse thing what do you guys think on the possibility it's debunked but would you like them to come back to the upcoming Spider-Man movie, Ryan. I wouldn't hate it, but you know I can go without it. You know what I mean? I I don't I don't 
think they would add anything to it, Jenny. Exactly. I think Tobey Maguire's too old to be Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I'm picturing like he's like almost he's biffles with Leonardo DiCaprio, right? So, so you I want can Leo? Everything to Leo? No, I don't want Leo as Spider-Man. He would never do I it. Did. Um, but he's his age. He's forty. What forty three? Mm-hmm. About. I don't know. I don't know. And Tobey Maguire really hasn't done too much. In a while, yeah, it's been a long time. I think the last thing he I remember seeing him in was The Great Gatsby, perhaps. Um, and so I don't know. I guess if they wrote it into the story and they did come back and it was like a mini cameo, which I imagine would be exactly it, then that's fine. Also, they could come back and maybe not even be Peter Parker. Maybe they're just no. I think they no no no. It it, it would be it would be Peter Parker. Yeah. Like, can I you? Ma- I I, sorry to cut you off right before you chime in. Mm-hmm. I would love if Toby comes in as like Jake Johnson did in Spider Verse, like this fat Spider Man. <laughs> no, I guess not. Yeah, I guess I'm but the then only this one. is not like a comedy. Like, it's not meant to be. It is, even though it's funny because it's, it's Tom Holland. Like this last Spider Man felt more like a John Hughes comedy than it did. It was good. A Spider Man movie. Uh, Rye, go ahead. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the Spider Verse movie and mentioning rumors. I remember hearing a rumor that Tobey Maguire was supposed to be the first Spider-Man voice, like he was supposed to be mentioned, but it fell apart. The one that died at the beginning? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And And it's funny, because I would have rather that than see him live action. Yeah. I I agree. I feel like, especially since they make fun of him at the beginning of the movie, it would have worked. It would have worked really well. Uh, But yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, it was debunked, but who knows? Marvel has a lot of money, and Marvel has a lot of pull. So we'll see what happens with that. And Andrew Garfield, before we move on. I actually have not seen those Spider-Man movies. Um, And I'm not saying this, and Ryan, I think I need need you to have my back on this, Ryan. I'm not saying this because I love her and I adore her. But Emma Stone really is the best thing about those two movies. Doesn't she die? Yeah, Gwen Stacy does die. Yeah, yes. So, Rye, what do you think? I never saw the second one. Oh, so, so. you never saw Gwen's death? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm on my well, own not here. Not a spoiler. Well, yeah, her death is pretty heartfelt. It's pretty good. She's really good. I, I would have loved that they w- if they waited and got her now, but she's also too old now, so it actually wouldn't have worked now, even though she could play young. Yeah. Yeah. So She's not I'm Toby Maguire old. No. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> Sorry, um, Toby. The next bit of news that <laughs> Toby hate is real. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um the next bit of news that kind of hurts theaters is the fact that Coming to America sold for $125 million to Amazon. What does that mean? It's bypassing theaters. It's going to D- Amazon Prime on December 18th, I believe, the week before Christmas. But it pretty much has its $125 million profit, making more than I think it probably would have made in the theatrical run. Does this concern you for movies in the future that studios are now going to, these streaming services are just going to outright pay what a movie would make at the box office? No. I think this is worrisome because the fact that this movie. For coming to America? Th- yeah, that. Amazon's willing to yeah, pay a hundred movie is like such a movie that could be on Amazon. Hear like me out though. It's a nostalgic film the for fact, anybody that likes the first but one. But the fact they're willing to pay $125 million, million for coming to America the yeah, sequel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what they'll pay for something that matters? They just it, it needs I mean, pe- they're in competition with Netflix too. Yeah. And they ne- got a lot more money. But Netflix Netflix owns all their movies for the most part. So. Yeah. Well, 
Um, I don't know. It doesn't really. I don't really like coming to America, so I'm. I'm it doesn't really like concern me. I think it's a good spot for it to end up with if it was going to go somewhere to go to Amazon Prime. Um, I just or I mean even Netflix I guess would have been fine too, but I feel like it. It feels like a good movie to be on there with. But I don't know. I it just feel like. It's a nostalgic film. Like, the people that are really going to watch it are people that like the first one. Yeah. I Like, you're not going to get someone that's never watched Coming to America that may be, like, you very randomly, until they watch the first one, they're not going to want to watch the second one. And Eddie Murphy has had his comeback, so his fans will come in. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Ryan, thoughts? I, excuse me. I see exactly where you're coming from, Dave, and I see, and I kind of agree with you. It is a little worrisome. Like, what are they willing to buy out next? And that's just Amazon. What about HBO? And then the next one, the next one, the next one. It's the worrisome part for me is why does it bother you so much? Because they paid one twenty five for a movie that wasn't going to make one twenty five in theaters. But it's going to bring more eyeballs to Amazon Prime and more, and that's so subscription because an Amazon subscription, what is it up to? Like a hundred. 150 bucks a, a year now. That's where I prime. and that's what I mean. A movie that they're not this big, they're willing to shelve out this much money. I can only imagine a movie that is worth more than that what they're willing to put to put it on their streaming service and bypass theaters. It's going to create a new version of competition between studios and streaming services. What streaming service is going to pay me the most money to give me their movie? I, things are going to change, but and I think it, people need to just come to the realization that things are going to change. Does it really hurt, though? Because the studio is still making their money in some form of way, and it's more of a guarantee. So they're going to be more willing to work with a, with a streaming service that's, because they're going to be guaranteed that money. That's, You're not guaranteed well, that's, when you, when that's you my argument. That, that's, to have... That's my argument. That's what I'm saying, that it hurt. It's it, This hurts the theater business. This doesn't hurt streaming services. Well... This, this is going to change. Well, the theater business has... A very old model, and they very old model, yeah, very old times. model. Yeah, it's all about you know when movie theaters first started, it was an experience for people. It it's was not an anymore. escape. Okay, back in what I'd have to look up the exact year, but what it, movie theaters had a boom in the, really during World War Two, World War One. Well, I but would say, I would say I, World War Two yeah, was a big right. one because that was the escapism. I mean, you had newsreels before movies played; like that was the big thing. You world, already had talkies by then. World War One, World War Two started after the crash, right? So around nineteen. That was um nineteen. I think it's nineteen thirty eight to nineteen forty four. Yeah, if I'm not wrong. So you had yeah. And world you, War One was fourteen to eighteen. Yeah, a lot and a lot of movies had to. Yeah, you're so right. You're right. It was an escapism for people. That was an experience. That was something new. People were going, they were putting down their nickels. Can you imagine? And just like going for the experience to escape. Okay, that continued on. But now there needs to be a reinvention. And maybe this will put more people on their toes to reinvent the experience. I mean, Alamo Drafthouse did well by creating all of these new... Like, they play movies that... I've never even heard of that most people haven't heard of, but have such a cult following that it brings people. And there's a, a thing of exclusivity. You have to get the tickets. They're always sold out. You know, like that is an experience. The food, the seats, everything about it is like a very old school Every, style, but with modern touches. Everything about the Alamo Draft House shows that theater houses that do, do stay around 
they're going to be at the front of the line because they, like you said, they offer an experience. Right. Like you have the commercialization where you have like AMC and Regal Cinemas, which is your everyday. Because look, not everybody wants to pay for more money. And then with ticket prices going up, which are going to go up when everything returns, you can bet prices are going up. I, you know, I just think, I understand it hurts, but maybe this is the kick in the butt that it needs to be able to keep going. If they make it. If they'll make it. If well, they don't make it, then then, we so, then they'll be back. They always come back. Everything old always comes back. Yeah, like vinyls. So like yeah. vinyl records. Yeah. And such. So we'll see we'll we'll see what happens with that. We obviously this is gonna be a long term thing in terms of whether they last or not. Uh and then last bit of news. I love Mad Max Fury Road. Ryan, just tell me you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> Actually, I just saw it recently. And how amazing is it? No, it's really good. Yeah, it's the best action movie of the de- of the 2010s. It's probably one of the best action movies I've ever seen. So Anya Taylor jo- uh, Anya Taylor Joy, Yab Yaya Abdul Mateen, and Chris Hemsworth have joined the Furiosa prequel, and I am excited. Uh, there's not, not not much else really to talk about there. Just the fact that those castings are incredible, and I can't wait for the movie to come out. And yep, that's all for the news. So before we get to Friday the 13th, is there anything you want to highlight that you watched this week? I know I didn't ask you guys to look anything, but is there anything off the top of the head that you watched that you wanted to mention, Ryan? Um, not this week, but recently I'll mention uh, Supernatural's back, and I'm happy about that. There's only well now five episodes left, and also recently the South Park special for the COVID special, which was phenomenal um, and funny as hell. Are, are you starting to get sad? It just feels so weird that Supernatural's ending. It's like, oh, yeah. Right and, I th- and I think we talked about it last week. Like that's how I felt when Smallville ended because it took me through high school and college. So yeah, that's how I felt. Jen, anything you want to highlight off the top of the head? So I'm watching Perfect Strangers on Hulu. <laughs> I'm actually on season five now. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know what Perfect perfect strangers is it was a a big show on tgif and actually family matters spun off of perfect strangers and it's basically about this cousin from this like fictionary country called meepos who comes to america and lives with his uh, his american cousin in chicago and it's a comedy by miller boyette um just like uh family matters they also did a step by step so just very lighthearted watch um being that hulu has all our tgi it's very nostalgic for me to be rewatching. So cool. That's my and head. then me, I've been watching a lot of new stuff. I saw the boys in the band, which is excellent. Uh, I've been watching stuff I can finally talk about. Uh, I saw Rebecca, the Alfred Hitchcock remake by Ben Wheatley. Uh, reviews out up on the site right now. It's a lot better than it has any reason to be. Uh, it's obviously not better than the Hitchcock film. It tries to be a little different than the original film. I don't want to get too much into detail. I do want you guys to see it when it comes out on Netflix next Friday. Uh, also saw the trial of Chicago seven. That's my number two and best picture right now. It's incredible stuff. Jenny saw like two seconds of it. And I think she liked what she saw. It's Aaron Sorkin. Why wouldn't I? Absolutely. And then we just finished seeing uh, on the rocks. Sophia Sophia Coppola's uh, latest film and her partnership with, Bill Murray, her first since, well, they had that Christmas special, but their first real partnership since Lost in Translation, and I adore it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, Jenny and I agreed that the end was a little rushed. But yeah, well, not rushed, but it felt like it was just sort of like a quick 
quick fix. Like, yeah. it was just very, it, it was very fast. It's a, but it's a true love letter to New York. New, New York is pretty much a character to the film. And it's a good examination of both husband and wife relationship and a father and daughter relationship. Uh, definitely check it out. It'll be on Apple TV next Friday, I believe. Oh, and I also caught the Bruce Springsteen documentary that comes out next week as well. And Jenny saw a lot of that with me. I did. I it's did. pretty much the I watch from the next room, guys. It's pretty much the making <laughs> the making of an album for the yes, most part. So uh, Bruce Springsteen and Let- the Letter Street to You is the name of the album are coming out with a new album on October 23rd. And so the documentary will be released on Apple TV that same day. And uh, basically the whole thing is them going through their creative process and uh, you hear the music. So we essentially heard a lot of the album album with like a video. So let's say like an old school pop up video. Right. And then, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's It's really solid. And the E Street Band. And And for us that we live in New Jersey, it's, you know, Springsteen is like a god around here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely by you, right, Ryan? When you were in Freehold? Um, yeah. Just a little bit. I'm more of a Bon Jovi guy, but yeah. I like like Bon Jovi. I know. New Jersey is either Springsteen or Bon Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, yeah. Um, Can't like both. No, you can I know. I'm just joking. I've been to both concerts. Both good times. I've been to Bon Jovi. There's nothing like a Bruce Springsteen concert. I mean, he, the energy that he has, you can tell that the band, after, even after so many years, loves working with each other, um, and just... You know, everything that they've been able to accomplish and the legacy that they've left. Cool. All righty. So that wraps up what we watched this week. Let's take a trip to Crystal Lake. Uh, the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th. Ryan, I'm going to start with you because I think you're the newest one to, to Camp Crystal Lake, right? Um, I believe I watched it once like years ago, but this was probably my second watch. O- overall thoughts before I get into the production of the film. Oh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Did you really? Okay, I was, I was, I wasn't sure what what Ryan reaction I wasn't going to get for this one. <laughs> Jen, your overall thoughts from the first time, if you remember the first time we saw Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so the first time, and it's something that I'll probably talk about a little later too. Um, the first time I watched Friday the Thirteenth was actually so two parter. I remember on like ABC, I think it was, there was like a teen people special or there there was something that was going on where it was like crazy horror movies and they were going through scenes like kill scenes and whatnot. And I remember watching Kevin Bacon's kill scene in this movie. And first of all, I didn't know who Kevin Bacon was at the time. And just the fact that like the way he died traumatized me for so long that every time I'd have I'd have to look under my bed first before I would go to bed because I was always worried someone was going to like kill me from under the bed. And then the the set so the first real time I watched it um I remember being in Florida we actually rented it on video at like a video store and I watched What's it with a video my cousin. Store? Yeah, and uh and it wasn't even a blockbuster it was like one of these like Miami bootleg video stores. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we watched it and I jumped at the end because I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Awesome. For me, I saw Friday the first time on TNT on a Monday night after WCW Monday Nitro. And the only thing I saw was probably the first five minutes where the two counselors are killed and the opening credits hit. And then I didn't see it again for, so I was like 13 or 14 years old. And yeah, I actually, this is the least 
best of the um of the top three franchises with Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and and this and Friday the Thirteenth. I don't think Friday the Thirteenth is actually the best in the series, so that that kind of starts where where I feel about that. But in terms of the production of the film, uh, prompted by the success of Halloween, director Sean Cunningham put out an advertisement to sell the film in Variety in early 1979. Uh, Victor Miller, who was drafting the screenplay, and after casting the film in New York City, filming took place in New Jersey in the summer of 1979 on an estimated budget of $550,000. A bidding war ensued over the finished film, ending with Paramount Pictures acquiring the film for domestic distribution, while Warner Brothers secured European distribution. The film was released on May 9th, 1980, and as I mentioned before, it made it made it was a $550,000 budget and it made $59.8 million. Crazy. Like I didn't I really didn't think that that movie until I started doing research on this would actually have made that money. I thought it was the sequels that kind of created the buzz with Jason Voorhees. But let's get into I actually want to go into Camp Crystal Lake's Camp Counselors to to, to see what you guys think of each one of them. So I'll start with Adrian King as Alice. Jen, what do you think of Alice? Our our final girl. Um, I think in the beginning she's portrayed as being very somewhat meek, and it's something that she really grows into her strength at the by the end of the movie and the drama. Um but yeah, she just seems like a goody two shoes. Rye. She's, yeah, she seemed like a very stock character at first, but then she grew into her own by the very end. Yeah, same here. I actually don't think she's as innocent as you guys make it out to be, because I think she's having a relationship with Steve Christie, which is creepy as hell anyway, because he looks like he's like 47 years older than she is. That's the mustache <laughs> guy, right? The, yeah, it's the mustache guy, yeah. Steve Christie, the one that's running but the that camp. That was like big in the 80s, those mustaches. I guess he still looks like he's 45 and she's like 18. Um, not going to go through all the counselors, but Kevin Bacon's Speedo. Jack, what oh. do you think of this? I was actually going to say that next. What did you think of Kevin Bacon's Speedo? It was Kevin Bacon and a Speedo. It's pure 1980s. Like, who was. I mean, I am guilty to wear a Speedo. There are pictures of that on the internet, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I. I I will say about all these counselors, and I'm curious if you guys agree. This is one of the only Friday the Thirteenth movies that everyone is likable. There's not an asshole counselor or person in the film, as opposed to other Friday the Thirteenth, where you always have that cliche slut, the cliche asshole, the cliche jock. This doesn't have that. I feel every single counselor is at least a decent person. Like you're not wishing yeah. that they die, type right. of yeah. thing. I agree with that. Yeah, and I know, and I know, Jenny's an, uh, a master. Cl- she gives a master class of wanting people to die in horror movies because every time <laughs> we watch a horror movie, she's like, "Oh, I just want this bitch to die." <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, movie? Jenny's so nice. You think she's so nice, but she, when she watches horror movies, she's so vicious. But oh, but I was bet. it like a horrible person? It was probably a horrible person that I wanted to die. So the. F- you don't. You don't want any. Uh, so let's. So what just, movie? Give me an example. Oh, I'm glad we're talking about Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Uh, Jenny and I saw at the Alamo. Is it that Drive. bitch? Yeah. Is it the blonde bitch yeah. with the blue shirt? Yeah. Oh yeah, she's terrible. 
She definitely had to die. Well, she did die. She did die in real life. She was a okay. Well, I didn't wish the woman death in real life. (laughs) I don't wish these people, these actors, death. I wish the characters. Yeah, she was a bitch. She was like the mean girl and like bullying everybody. She was just like very obnoxious to everybody and. Yeah, she was a horrible person. Yeah, I. So that, yes, I agree. So that's an example of Jenny Ellie at her worst. Whatever. Um, and then I wanted to talk about two more people here before we move on. Steve Christie, the actual person that's running the camp. Jenny, I guess Jenny. Negligent. Why negligent? Just a lot of bad choices. And why is the camp not ready like the day before people get there? Yeah, that is like terrible disorganization. And if he was counting on his staff doing all of the work. Also, like, if you want your staff to do everything, you got to bring them more with enough lead time. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that I I was like, huh, this camp opens tomorrow and it looks like it's going to take like a month to get everything ready. But I guess indifferent on the on the head of the camp, Steve Christie. No, I agree with you guys. Like, yeah, he was kind of just. Yeah. (laughs) And then this last person I wanted to talk about before we move on. Crazy Ralph. I kind of feel bad oh. for him. So this guy's married. I did a little research on the character. He's a married. He, he's married. He's just crazy. But is he crazy? Because he's the only one that seems to be right about everything that's going on at the camp. Right. But you never listen to the crazy person because you think that they're crazy. And I think as much as I love crazy, because I do love crazy Ralph as a character. He started one of the worst horror tropes ever. The crazy person in the movie that warns you that something's going to happen and ends up dying. And Crazy Ralph actually makes it to the second one. He dies in part two. Mm. So it's a gift and a curse for Crazy Ralph. I think he's hilarious when he's on there because it's just so cliche. But um, it sucks that he started this trope because it gets really, really bad. Ryan, do you know any Crazy Ralphs? Because we do. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, I there, think about it for a sec. There's a, there's a Crazy Ralph everywhere. Alrighty. So let's get into... What's age best and what's age worse? Ryan, let's kick it off with you. Um, the opening up until the freeze frame and the POV shots and the score. Okay. Jenny? Kevin Bacon Speedo. That's it. That's it? No, no. <laughs> um, just I think that for me, the, the best one was the reveal. Yeah. I think if you've never, obviously, if it has never been spoiled for you, and I guess I don't want to spoil it on this podcast, but I guess it's all about it, so it might as well. But I think that was a very strong reveal. Like, you never see that coming. Um, you don't expect it. Even when I first watched it, it was like, oh, shit. Like, it's his mom. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, you didn't even know. I mean, we don't even see Jason to the end. So No, it's you of, don't. It's and, one of those, like. And then it's like, do you really see Jason or is it really just like in her head? I think it's in her head. Yeah. But the one thing I, I, I forgot to mention about Crazy Ralph is that the movie makes you believe he's the killer. Yeah. Well, he's the, he's the MacGuffin of the movie that you're just thinking, oh, I think Crazy Ralph's probably the killer because at that time you weren't used to movie twists like that either. So you thought it was more of a straightforward situation where your, your first assumption is the correct assumption. Yeah. So that's that's something that I got from Crazy Ralph as well. So age best for me. I mentioned before that counselors actually being likable. Uh, next up, the deaths in the movie. I thought most of the deaths, were, the practical effects in the in the movie were actually really, really great. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Voorhees reveal, fantastic. 
camp horror films, that's age best because a lot of solid camp horror films came from here. Age worse. Ryan, I'll kick it off with you here. Age worse, the freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like a good freeze frame? I mean, Zack Snyder has them in all his movies. <laughs> and then with the like the breaking glass right after, like I'm like, oh wow, that's not aged well. It's like it doesn't make any sense. Show. It doesn't make any sense because if you notice, um, the Friday the Thirteenth logo is definitely not that. <laughs> It never, it never was on any box set outside. I don't even think the original had a box, uh, box art that had that font. So it's funny that that's the original stop freeze on the, on the Friday Thirteenth glass break. Jen, what about you? Uh, I have more. Oh, you have one more. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have more. Yeah. Uh, men in short shorts. <laughs> um, that was the eighties, though. Pretending to drown and also pretending to be Native American. Oh. You took what you took that one off me. That was actually my first one. The Native American head garb that was being worn. That that's not age well at all. Um, I have thinking an entire scene making coffee is a great idea in a movie. Yeah, that was a long scene because I've talked about this so many times, like off the line to Jen and to friends, how that scene is one of the worst horror film scenes ever. There's no tension there. She's literally just goes through the entire process of making coffee, and that does not age well at all uh like i mentioned the crazy town folk warning teenagers of impending doom uh steve christie and alice's implied relationship they're they i would say what would you think their age difference is right um she's probably i'll say at least 20 years yep i was gonna give it 15 i was being generous so another thing the couple uh responsible for letting jason drown originally would have probably gotten sued and arrested she would have mrs Voorhees would have gotten her revenge would they have though it was the technically right the 50s, jason died 1958 in the 50s right yeah. so would they have it was different times i guess I, I don't know now you can bet your ass there's litigation at, at least yeah i mean well yeah we saw action park so that i just i, guess that's a I good just point. feel like in the 50s it wasn't done that so much i don't know the killer strength why is mrs Voorhees outpowering everybody like she's like roman reigns <laughs> i the title sequence i had that the breaking of the glass uh let's uh the sequels and remakes that followed i think this started way too much jenny looking at me like i think i stole her her you her did. answer and then yeah that's pretty much it that's all i have what do you have um well, Steve Christie, you can tell he's just that creeper boss. And uh, so that didn't age well. Sexual harassment. Bad. <laughs> and uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rye. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's really I'm making a one line. Steve Christie. Go ahead, Rye. Um, when he's help, when the one trucker dude's helping her into the car, if I'm remembering correctly, he's like pushing right up on her ass. Does he really? I don't remember. And I just watched it. He, does he do that? Yeah. Oh my god, that's terrible. Oh, okay. Never <laughs> Yeah, that that's not good at all. Uh all right. Yeah, go ahead. Of the remake, one of the two. Uh I know I think you are right. I think it's actually in the uh because the remake is a remake of like part one, two, three, and four. So yeah, yeah I don't think they do that there. All right, so let's get into Pamela's finest. What is the best kill in the movie? I I assume we all have the same one, but I'll kick it off with Rye here. What's the best kill in the movie? 
Actually, I have Annie. Oh! Can you talk Only about... because I didn't see it coming because I thought she'd be the final girl. So the, 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 the first girl you meet, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's a nice little surprise. Uh, Jen? Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, so I Only because it really... I think it's the only horror movie kill that really... I guess because I watched it so young and unexpectedly that it really just terrified me. Um, and so it, it's always left that imprint in my mind. Yeah, for me, it's Kevin Bacon as well. Although, I don't know how you watched it, Rye, uh, but I'm sure you probably felt the same way. The It's a great death, but it has not... The better the quality on on movies get, the worse it looks because the uh, skin complexion on the on the puppet or oh yeah it doesn't look like it's not kevin bacon's skin complexion i agree my vhs copy looked much better because it was not 4k um next up play that funky music white boy the score of the film you mentioned it before right uh harry manfredini scored the film so a little bit about the score when harry manfredini began working on the musical score the decision was made to only play music when the killer was actually present so as not to manipulate the audience manfredini pointed out the lack of music for certain scenes there's a scene where one one of the girls is setting up the archery area one of the guys shoots an arrow into the target and just misses her. It's a huge scare, but if you notice, there's no music. That was a choice. Manfredini also noted when something was going to happen, the music would cut off so the audience would relax a bit and the scare would be that much more effective. Because the killer Mrs. Voorhees appears on screen only during the final scene of the film, Manfredini had the job of creating a score that would represent the killer in her absence. Manfredini borrows from the 1975 classic film Jaws, where the shark is likewise not seen for the majority of the film, but the motif created by John Williams cued the audience to the shark's invisible menace. I was just going to say, it's just like Jaws. And do you know what the... Right, you did the little the little sound effect before. Do you know what that was, that's supposed to be? Um, No, actually. Jen? No. It's kill, 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 ma, ma, ma. Oh. It's kill, 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 ma. Everyone thinks it's ch, 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 ma, ma. Yeah, but it's kill, 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 ma. Like, and I think she has that part in the movie where she's like, kill her, mommy, kill her. Yeah. So that's kind of like... Right. What it's supposed to be. Oh. Interesting, right? All right. That the more guy, you know. The more you know. That guy or Jenny, who's that Who's that guy from this movie? Oh, that guy? That guy is... Let's see. <laughs> Jenny doesn't have it at the top of their head. Sorry, guys. That guy. Uh, so I put Ari Lehman. Don't Baby I love Jason. Ari Lehman. He's I such a nice guy. Is, he, uh, yes, he is very nice in person. But this is the only place I've ever seen him. So this is where I know him from. Yeah, I. He's my that guy. I went with Ari Lehman too. Okay, but he's such a nice man. No, he is. There's nothing wrong with it. Ryan, would you go? I went with uh, Crazy Ralph. Yeah, that's not a bad one either. He, I think, I, I don't even think outside of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, I don't remember him in anything else. Um, Six Man of the Film Award. Who was the best supporting player? I went with Betsy Palmer. Same. Jenny, Adrian King. Okay, <laughs> I, I like, just I think she's the lead. That's why I didn't go. I didn't put her there. I guess, but and the fact that we don't see Betsy Palmer till the end of the movie, her performance is inc- well because haunting. I have her in something else. Oh, I guess it's the Icebox Award. Yeah, MVP of the film. She's my Becky O'Shea winner. And Rye, who do you go with? Who was your sixth man of the film? 
my uh, wait. Best my supporting MVP? player? No, best supporting player. I agree with you. you uh, supporting was Mr. Voorhees, Betsy M- Palmer. MVP of the film. Here I went with Adrian King and Betsy Palmer because they're both of them together at the end. Them. Oh yeah, no, the yeah. ending I think is solid. It's solid. Everything about her. She so good. She beats the shit out of her. Like I was talking. Shout out to Marcus. He, uh, we posted a, a question up on the on social media asking what's your favorite scene in the movie, and we had a couple of responses. But Marcus says I want to shout out, and uh, Raya, you probably saw this too. She bitch slaps her so hard. She does. And when they're fighting, it's like Marcus said, uh, it's like a pimp that that needs to get his money and hasn't been paid. Like she he she slaps the shit out of her. Uh but yeah, my icebox is that. And you went with Adrian King here, no. Jenny? Betsy Palmer. Betsy Palmer. Yes. And then, Rye, who'd you go with? Uh, you know, I'm tying it uh, with Allison. <laughs> there you go. See? There you go. Do the Ryan, right thing. you don't have to kiss his butt. No, because honestly, I didn't. Originally, I had Betsy, but I thought I was going to get shit because of how short she was <laughs> in it. So I took her out of it and I put Adrian there. So now that. I can put her in there. I tied it. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Voorhees makes the movie. She is that reveal is like, one under, of the best, right? Like that. That is one of my favorite reveals in in a movie, and I just think it's um, I don't know. It's just it's it's so great. Peaks and valleys. Who peaked with this movie, Jenny? Adrian King. Yeah, I went with Adrian King here as well. Ryan, who do you go with here? I went with Peter Bauer, Steve. Oh yeah, that's Peter another King. good one. Yeah, and then Valley, I, w- I think we all have Kevin Bacon, right? Kevin Bacon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's... I saw him. I'm like, okay, that's easy. Yeah, that yeah, was that the was... easiest one to do when I started I like, doing. The... Yeah. Pretty all right, much. killer facts. Obviously, because this is a Friday the Thirteenth movie, I have thirteen facts. Ooh. Number one, it was the 18th highest-grossing film of that year, facing stiff horror film competition from such profile. Releases such as The Shining, Dress to Kill, The Fog, and Prom Night. This is, I've I've gone on record. I think on the podcast here and there, or off definitely off the line to friends. Like Cisco and Eber were the first of their kind, but they're fucking assholes. Rest in peace. So number two, Gene Siskel hated the movie so much he gave away the ending in his review. He and Roger Eber also slammed it in a special edition of Cisco and Cisco and Eber and called the War on Women, which focused on the misogynistic slasher movies. All of this just boasted t- ticket sales for the movie. Now, Jen, yes. you're our leading feminist on this podcast. <laughs> I'm your Do only you, feminist yes. on this Do you podcast. think this movie is misogynistic? I don't think so. I think it's a product of its time. I I think there is some misogyny and there is for sure sexual harassment um and yes this was the 80s so women not wearing bras and those are the camera scenes and the objectification of the male gaze um but it's a product of its time you got I guys think, in short shorts showing their yeah, ass I mean, exactly. I mean kevin bacon <laughs> is in a speedo i was objectifying him not that long ago a few minutes ago on this podcast you know it it, it is what it is i but for me when i watch it i don't I understand that it is a product of its time. It is what it is. I'm not offended by it because it is. It's just exactly this was this man's story who wrote it, and this was how they and the director chose to do it this way. And I still love the movie. I love Friday the Thirteenth. I think it's a great horror movie. It's one of my favorites. Meh. What? 
I don't think it, I don't think I'm it's, not talking the franchise. No, I'm talking about the movie. I'm I, talking I, about this one. I don't think this movie's great at all, actually. Okay, well, I really enjoy no. I know it. a lot of people love it. I I I don't I think really this is great. I really enjoy it a lot. I love the character of Jason Voorhees. Um, I just think, yeah. I'll so, go as far as to say I, I think, bypass it in the sense of I think this is, and I think we've spoken about this personally, just me and you. I think this is the funnest horror franchise. Like I have a great time watching these movies. All. 12 of them well not all 12 there's some that's also to add like yes they objectify and there's a lot of stuff here but it's not as bad as some of these other movies mm-hmm. that came out around this time i mean you want to watch a movie that oh, is i know where she's going horrific i know where she's going. against women um if you can find it it's not even on shutter good luck yeah because this this movie is fucking sick just go say it mother's day not the rebecca de mornay reboot version that they came out with which actually is not the same one this is i think i think this was 1980 or whatnot and i remember i rented it in on vhs because my mom i remember my mom telling me that like my grandmother took her to see this movie because it was like she was chaperoning her and my grandmother was like what the fuck did we watch (laughs) because my mom went for the horror movie with her friends and like whatever and this movie is basically this mother who has her two or three sons um, pick up women and it's basically gang rape through and through and torture porn. And it's just, it's, it's horrible. And I remember renting this later on in life and I was just like, what the fuck did I do? Cause I didn't know what it was about. And I, I think nothing else has really traumatized me since. Yeah. So go watch mother's day. Yeah. Ladies and gents. Or don't watch it. Don't watch it. Cause uh, that, that is the real misogyny. Number three, this is kind of fucked up. And the reason I put this here is because, uh, I actually saw this panel while watching the special features on the Friday 13th box set. So Betsy Palmer and the rest of the cast had a 30th anniversary conference th- 10 years ago. And during the, during the panel, Betsy Palmer said that, when she first read the script, she called it what a piece of shit and threw it out. The big takeaway from that was Victor Miller, the writer, was sitting right next to her. It was Damn. such an awkward moment. The fun fact about this whole situation was the fact that she had talked about how much she loved the franchise after and how she, you know, she only came back one more time. But if the, the, if the role was right and the script was right, she would have come back in like a ghostly figure kind of thing. So, yeah, that, that was pretty crazy. Number four, uh, Steve Miner, producer Steve Miner initially thought that it was idiotic to bring Jason back in sequels. He wasn't your villain. He's just a figment of someone's imagination, like Jenny said. Uh, despite this, he went on to direct the next two Friday the 13th movies. Well, he's got to get paid. He also directed Halloween H2O. Oh. Mm-hmm. Sally Field was offered the role of Alice, but turned it down. I could see it. She was big. really, yeah. She had she had, um, I think, just finished maybe TV with Gidget, mm. and so she was up and coming. Number six, the idea behind the scene where they count the counselors have to kill a snake they find in one of the cabins. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. So was to differentiate the film somewhat from Halloween by having an early fake scare turn out out of uh, the out to be legitimate as well established characters of capable of taking action if need be however there was no PETA around the film set meaning they actually took a machete to a real life snake 
thought that was a real snake. Allegedly, the <laughs> owner was standing on the set when it happened. He started crying when they killed the snake. That's crazy. That's fucked up. Yeah. Number seven, it was nominated. I mean, if they had gotten like a pet shop to be like, oh, we need a snake, buy a snake. Yeah, they probably bought the snake and killed pet, it. But my God. Yeah. Uh, next up, number seven, it was nominated for a Razzie for the worst film of the year. Yeah. Number eight, for his death. And I think maybe you guys have seen this. I've seen a documentary. Maybe Jenny has too. Kevin Bacon, for his death scene, Kevin Bacon had to crouch under the bed and insert his head through the hole in the mattress. Then a latex and chest appliance were attached to give the appearance that he was actually lying down. Getting the setup took several hours, and Bacon had to stay in an uncomfortable position on his knees the entire time. Unfortunately, for the for the part where the blood actually comes out, Tom Savini was also under the bed that would plunge the arrow through, while his assistant also uh, operated the blood pump. Pump. Unfortunately, it broke. <laughs> And Tom Savini had a blow into the tube for the blood to come out. So now that when you next time you watch the movie, you'll notice that it comes out okay at first and then blood just starts squirting out of the neck. That's because Savini had a blow into it because yeah. it was broken. So and that's right. Like, and that scene had to be done now from what they did then and how they had to in- improvise. I personally like how the they did it back effects. then. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that that had scene had to get done in one take. Right. They couldn't mess that up. Well, so. you. You get to really use your creativity. Going back to the critic stuff before, Siskel was so angry at Betsy Palmer's role in the movie that he published her address in his magazine and encouraged people to write her and protest her. Yeah, see, that's dick. That's a dick move. Yeah. You never publish someone's like actual address. Now, if it's her agent or her you know company, like that's fine because that that's like public knowledge let's say yeah but not her like home address yeah pretty fucked up i thought and also like she's an actress in the movie if you have a bone to pick you go with the writer or the director like i've hated movies i've hated movies and i hate certain directors and actors i don't you know Yeah, you're not like posting Zack snyder's home address no i don't know it we could probably find it <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i don't i don't hate Zack snyder but, I, I hate right, like, everyone it's just kind of I, like, yeah. It's almost like vindictive. Crazy. Uh, next up, the cur- character of Crazy Ralph was meant to establish two functions, foreshadow the events to come and insinuate that he could actually be the murderer, like I mentioned before. Sean Cunningham has stated that he was apprehensive about including the character and is not sure if he accomplished the goal or created or cre- or created a character that no one cared about. Number 11, Sean Cunningham in- instructed Victor Miller to come up with a chair jumper of an ending. Kind of like Carrie. Uh, Ryan, have you ever seen Carrie? Mm-hmm. So pretty much when Carrie's hand comes out of out of the out of the grave. So pretty much that is why we got the ending with Jason because of the choice that Sean Cunningham had of creating a jump scare at the end. That's another scene that made me jump as a kid. Well, when Jason comes out of the no, well Jason comes out oh, of the water. Carrie? That I didn't expect, and then Carrie at the end. Yep. Number 12, Victor Miller admits he was subconsciously inverting the psycho formula where instead of the son having a split personality and pretending to be the mother, we have the mother pretending to be the son. And finally, the original plan for Alice to be was to be a reoccurring hero in the series, consistently facing off against Jason. And again, in the sequel, kind of like Laurie Strode is yeah. to Halloween. But after Adrian King was stalked by a Friday the 13th fan during the release of the original film, she said she wanted out, so her character was killed off in the 
second film. That's so crazy how people have to ruin it. And she's <laughs> she's spoken about this at panels and on the documentary Crystal Lake Memories. Yeah, she does the horror movie horror, and, horror fan circuit. And we've met her, and she's convention. a sweetheart. She's awesome. She sells wine. Yeah. And she na- awesome. she has fun names. They're all. Yeah. Cri- I think it's called Crystal Lake yeah, Wine she, or something. She's like she's all about. She it. markets off of the fame that she got. I mean, it makes sense. Yep, and that's my thirteen facts. So before we finish off, uh, I did want to talk about the video game because the it's video really- game is going to lead into something else that I want to finish up with. Um, so there's a Friday Thirteenth video game. And it's probably one of the best experiences I've had playing a video game. Is it on PS4? It's on PS4. It's on Xbox. It's on Switch. You play online. You play as a camp. On Switch? Yeah, it's on Switch now. Oh, cool. So you play as a camp counselor or you play as Jason. If you're played as Jason, you have to kill all the camp counselors. If you play as a counselor, you can either escape, like I mentioned earlier on the podcast, or you can kill Jason, which is extremely hard. I've only done it twice. And you can... uh, Call the cops, escape. So it was super popular, and Jenny knows how popular it was because I would be playing for hours upon hours at night during the day. I would be playing that game immensely. However, there is a lawsuit going on right now that doesn't seem like it's coming to an end anytime soon. So, Rye, if you're wondering why we haven't gotten a Friday the 13th anything in the last 11 years... It is because there is a lawsuit going around. So Larry Zerner, who played Shelley in Friday the 13th Part 3, is a lawyer. He's an entertainment lawyer. And he talked about what exactly the issue is. So the, the lawsuit is between Victor Miller who and Sean Cunningham. Essentially, it's based on the Copyright Act. So the Copyright Act includes a provision that the original rights holder can use to reclaim what they once owed for any number of reasons. For example, if a bad deal was made many years prior to the value of the property has since shifted in such a way that might warrant a new or better deal. So Victor Miller was a writer for hire. So he got paid where he got paid and then the franchise blew up and he got none of that. So the lawsuit pretty much, it stops anything from Friday the 13th being made until that lawsuit gets settled. Because Victor Miller wants his money. Yeah, which he deservingly I yes think she, and no. No. Oh, I need to hear this. Why no? Well, he he signed the contract. He was for hire. He did the job that he was hired to do, and he was paid for the amount of that. It is on. It's his loss that he didn't think about or have the foresight or have a lawyer himself. Or if he did have a lawyer, the lawyer did not advise him in this. Granted, you can't. Back then, when he made this deal, you weren't thinking about. You know, there wasn't anything. VHS was fairly new, I believe. Betamax, at least. There, was, there wasn't there was streaming. There wasn't um, all of these ideas of franchises and things coming out. But a lawyer, had he had one at that time, would have been able to put in some kind of language to cover that. So he didn't get that. And I understand that's his work and that is his vision. But he created the first movie. He didn't write the rest. And can he, I, he did exactly what he was supposed to can do. Can I offer a counter to that before we it. go to Ryan? The guys that wrote Superman. Yeah, I know, but that was a shisty deal too. Do but you, that But what that, what differs there because they were paid for contract by DC and they got no money of Superman at all. Bill Finger. 
Bill Finger for Batman. Yes. It's the same thing. It's two different systems, though. You're talking about publishing and you're talking about movie studios. I think actually what happened... Creative property is creative property I in think, my eyes. I think what happened to those guys is different from what happened it's to... It's awful. I felt so bad when I found that one. I know. Well, they were really... Well, same with Bill Finger. I think, Ryan, and before I get your take on this, who do you think... I mean, they both got it bad, but who do you think got it worse? I, I, I think Bill Finger got it worse. Yeah, because at least you know the creators of Superman. You yeah. know, for a while, you didn't know Bill Finger. I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, and I... I piggyback off ryan i had no idea that he created batman because for as a child growing up bob kane bob kane bob kane is all i saw i never ever saw bill finger i'm glad he's getting his recognition now suing sean cunningham but wouldn't he have to sue the studio they worked together before they sold the rights to the studio so they worked on this like they made that deal before and then they sold the rights they sold the rights to the picture to paramount so, I mean, the reason I think this is not going to end anytime soon is in September um, last year, they in 2019, a lawyer favored in um, Victor Miller's favor. But Sean Cunningham appealed. And right now they're just going back and forth in appeals court. It's a lot of waste of time. It's a lot of waste of time. Over I, money and then you're just going to die anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Zerner mentioned that. In the short term, Miller's brief must be filled within 30 days or 60 if it received an extension. With Sean's reply coming in 21 days after that, in the longer term, or argu- arguments might not take place until early next year. And this was in 2019. Obviously, with COVID, there was supposed to be arguments and a decision made by then. Now we don't know when the hell is going to happen. So. Right. Uh, the latest we got into a franchise was LeBron James pro- uh, production company, I believe, was going to remake it. And then this just was not going to allow it to happen. I'm kind of glad I don't want him anywhere near Friday the 13th. <laughs> I let him fuck fuck up Space Jam and leave Friday the 13th alone. So I like the remake we got. Yeah. So I did want to finish up on the franchise as a whole. Not going to dive into everything, but Ryan, you said you've seen a few outside of the first one. Yeah, I just want to quickly, like I said, I did enjoy the remake. It has Sam, it has Gemma of course from you did. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I can't hate the casting. <laughs> um, but I took the beginning, it ran through, excuse me, it ran through a good amount, and I just dug it. And also, Jason X is a guilty pleasure of mine. That's a like guilty when he pleasure just of mine. beats up the virtual people just with each other, that's just so awesome to me. And I, also, he looks so badass. I hate, I hate the remake. Um, I think the like you kind of nailed it right though. The first twenty five minutes of that movie are fucking awesome, <laughs> like the of the remake. Um, I just I just think it falls flat. I mean, I will I, I will say in my recent rewatch, the remake is the one I didn't watch. Uh, so maybe I'll have to rewatch it again. My favorite is Jason Lives Part Six. I think that's the best one. I think you'll like it because it's more of a horror comedy. It's a satire on the franchise. I mean, the opening of the of Jason Lives is a spoof on 007. So if that doesn't set you up, I don't know what will. Uh, I I would say that this franchise as a whole for me is all guilty pleasure. There's no masterpiece. There's no Halloween. There's no Nightmare on Elm Street here. These are just like 
fun entries. You can just sit back, relax, enjoy, see some dope kills until the MPA comes in and fucks everything up in the later <laughs> entries. And that's something one day we'll cover the franchise and I'll get into how the MPA fucked everything up uh, with the Friday the 13th movies. But yeah, um, it's still one of my favorite horror franchises to watch. I watch them at least once or twice a year because it's just a fun escape. And Jen, I'll, is this your favorite entry? Or do you have one that you like more than this one? I would say this is my favorite. I think because obviously it's the first one I watched. Um, and I've watched this one, I think, the most. I would say the most out of all the others. Um, and since I watched it a lot younger, I feel like I watched the other ones a lot older. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nostalgia for me. Awesome. Alrighty, so that wraps everything up on our trip to Crystal Lake. Next week, our traveling days are over as we finish our month of horror franchises in Haddonfield, Illinois, as we look at the entire franchise of Halloween. And Ryan, I'm very curious to your take on Halloween 3. Until then, Thank you.